he promotes his book. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> this is a really good book and it's defining Genesis. Or that's what it's called and that's what it does. And it's been gifted to the church. Pete took it home for a couple of weeks and um, read through it, said it was very, very interesting. If anybody would like to um, borrow the book and take it home, you're more than welcome. More than welcome. I'll just leave it up here. I went to a conference about five years ago, denominational conference in Adelaide, and the speaker came and he promoted his five books, which took 15 minutes. I didn't really go to the conference to listen to him sprout about all his books. He could have stuck them on a the table out there and said, look, they're there, have a browse. I got a bit cheesed off. But as I begin today, and it's interesting that <laughs> I've promoted that book because also there's another book that I want to promote. This is my book, but I didn't write it. I bought it. It's this book. And at the next conference I speak at, I'm going to do this. I'm going to promote this book. I don't have a book. I've started a book. I started a book about 10 years ago and it's still working in progress. I've been a bit busy in the last you know, few years. This is a good book. This is a good book to read. I've said this before, but the acronym for Bible is Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Okay? Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. This book has sold does sell 100 million copies each year. The full Bible has been translated into 532 languages and it has been partially translated, as in like the book of Luke or Romans or John or whatever, into 2,883 languages. The Bible is the most commonly stolen book in the world, thanks to the Gideons, probably, because people go to jail and they take a Gideon's Bible out with them. Um, people go to motels, they take the Gideon's Bible with them. People go to the doctor's surgery, mm, I might take that. It's the most stolen book in the world. I think that's great. If you're going to steal a book, steal a Bible. <laughs> you just might get inside the pearly gate. <laughs> it would be the very good, Ron. It would be the last book you'd ever steal. The Bible is the best-selling book in history, with total sales exceeding five billion. Exceeding five billion. I was listening to Talkback Radio the other night when I was cleaning the supermarket 
And they were talking about the demise of religion and the demise of Christianity. And I really wanted to ring up and say, look, guy, guys, your facts are all wrong. Christianity is on going fast, believe me. It is really going fast. The country, the nation in the world that is bringing the most Christians to Christ at the moment is... China. Yes, you guys are up there. You're right on it. China, yes, yes, yes. There are many themes and applications that we can apply from the Bible, but a careful study shows that if we divide the Bible into two parts, not the older than the new... But Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis, and excluding Genesis 3 for a moment, but Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 4 through to the end of Revelation 22 make the division right there at Genesis chapter 3 and you will see that the Bible is a story that begins with the ultimate God-man relationship, god Adam and Eve, God visited the planet, walked with them in the cool of the day. I mean, I think that's even just pretty cool. Um, To have God come and walk through the garden, give the instructions, name the animals, plants and all the jazz. And then in Genesis 3, sin enters the hearts of Adam and Eve through temptation. And then the rest of the Bible from Genesis 4 to the end of Revelation is all about how God set about bringing mankind from that broken relationship back unto himself. After the Tower of Babel and the flood, God called Abraham to set about creating a nation, a nation of people who were called out and chosen by God. And through many thousands of years of failed covenants, disobedient people to the law, etc., the presence of God came to earth in a box. And was put behind the curtain in the temple. Not that that was a bad place to put the presence of God. But it was in fact the most holy place. And so the presence of God was in the box called the Ark of the Covenant. For years and years and years and years. And it wasn't until Jesus came and did his ministry, and died, and rose again, and ascended to heaven, and the Holy Spirit came down, that once again, the presence of God can live inside the hearts of the people he created. That's the story of the Bible in a nutshell. And when you open your Bible next, and you read out of Leviticus, as Ron has been doing, and wherever you're reading in your daily reading, bear in mind the big picture of what the Bible 
is about. The big picture. I've finished promoting my book now. I'll start the message. <laughs> okay. There was this guy once, and he went to a flower show, and he's looking at the chrysanthemums. And I'm glad I've got this written down because I don't even know what a chrysanthemum is. <laughs> it's a flower. But if you show me one, I couldn't tell you. But anyway, he was looking at the chrysanthemums and he commented to the guy at the stall what beautiful flowers they were, just exquisite. And he said, how do you get such exquisite looking flowers? And the guy said to him, as they grow, As they grow, you must only have one or two blooms. Don't have heaps. And then the plant will pull all its energy into those blooms, those one or two blooms, and you will get the most exquisite flower. If you keep all the blooms, then they all just look Average, okay, but not outstanding. So, for the same reason, God trains us and sends us trials and, um, and these trials prune our lives, right? They prune our lives and all the worthless stuff the baggage, whatever. God gets the secateurs out, doesn't he? And he goes, whoa, I'm having a ball here. You're going to be great next season. You'll bear fruit. It hurts a bit. But then so that he may perfect in us and make us into one exquisite blossom of holiness. Wow. Romans 14, 14, we're going to look at today. This is part four of my four-part series of one anothering in Romans. And today we're looking at admonishing uh Admonishing and greeting one another. God has designed a lifestyle for his children to live by. It is a lifestyle of holiness. It is a lifestyle of submission to God's ways as laid out per scripture. This is the instruction manual. Yes, you have one for your car. And you can read it and you know how to turn the blinkers on, you know, or whatever. This is the instruction manual. We talked about it. I don't need to go there again. Romans 14, 14. And it says, I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus 
that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. That is not the scripture I want to read. I've made a typo here. I've made an error. But I've got the scripture written down that I want to read, but now I don't know what the reference is. I'll read. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. It's in Romans somewhere. It's... Oh, 15, is it? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, so I want to look a bit, what does this word admonish mean? It comes from a Greek word called nautheteo. I don't even do Greek very well. But it means... To admonish means to instruct or to warn. It does not mean to correct by discipline. It does not mean to train, etc. But it means to instruct or to warn. Paul almost says that there are qualifications to admonishment. He begins by saying to the Roman church that you are full of goodness. Full of goodness. Being full of goodness is a to- is a lifestyle adopted and projected by Christians. This goodness can be recognised by other people, as you well know. We all well know. Um, uh, by other people. It's last week we talked about. Um, Judgment, didn't it? Being judgmental. This is really interesting because Matthew seven sixteen says, "By your fr- by their fruit, fruit or fruits, you'll know them." Okay, so there's a fine line between judging someone and knowing them by their fruit. Does that mean actions speak louder than words? By their fruit, you'll know them. Mm, it does, doesn't it? It does. You can hear people say all sorts of things about their Christianity and their ministry, but seeing the fruit of that ministry is really the proof. This relates to the detection of goodness that is displayed by a person. And we do that, don't we? We detect whether somebody is good or bad. We just do, even without thinking of it. We go, you see something on the news. <gasps> Man, sometimes you just draw breath, don't you, at the horrific things that, are, that, that we see. But there's also good things happen, and, and we can recognise those as well. Paul also says that to admonish... We must be complete in knowledge. Where do we get the knowledge from? 
That's it. So we need to be complete in knowledge. Having a good balance and understanding of the scriptures. Having been filled with all knowledge, not really in the absolute sense, but in the sense that we have an understanding of the full scope of the Christian faith. So not really so much word for word knowledge in that sense, but understanding the scriptures and understanding how Christianity works, understanding God and understanding things from God's perspective not so much from our perspective. God is without sin, so his perspective is different. Our perspective is marred a bit by sin. Yep. Quite often we get it right and we do good. But, but, but sometimes our perspective is not always um, the same as God's. We need to understand. We need to be able to look at the world through God's eyes, you know. Um, with these type of qualifications we're able to instruct if we have an understanding of how the Christian faith works then we're able to instruct remember we're talking about admonishing about instructing others about warning others you know I might say uh, I might give you a warning like um Knuckle down in your relationship with God because Jesus is coming soon. Don't be caught out. So that could be a warning for the church, you know. So now I have admonished you. Do you understand how it works? Yeah. Yeah. So Paul did not really have a low opinion of the Roman church. On the contrary, he considered them spiritually informed and spiritually mature. Where are you in all of this? Do you qualify to be spiritually informed and spiritually mature? Are you full of goodness and are you complete in the knowledge of the scriptures? Are you understanding the Christian faith? where God is coming from and how the Christian faith works. It's, it's where we need to get to as individuals and also as a church. My second reading is Romans 15.7 and I've got this one right. <laughs> Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's good. What does accept mean? This also comes from a Greek word called Proslambano. But it means to accept somebody means a lot of different things. To take somebody as a companion, you accept them. To take somebody by the hand and 
give them some guidance. Except to take or receive someone into your home with kindness, yeah. Shell would Shell would say, "Drop in, have a cuppa with me sometime." I'm sure everybody would say that. Um, To receive or to gain access to somebody's heart, <coughs> acceptance, or to take someone as a friend. We do not receive or accept people on the basis of denominational affiliation, spiritual maturity or social status. We should receive one another just as Christ received us. I remember when I was at Bible college. Yeah, you meet lots of new people and they're all Christians and they're all studying and they'd say, oh, and what church do you go to? And I used to say, oh, Baptist. They go, oh, right. Okay. After a while, in the second year, when new students come in, they say, oh, what church do you go to, Stuart? So not saying. <laughs> oh, why? Because I don't want to be judged by my denomination. Okay. Oh, really? Really. Okay. So, that happens. Our call is not to promote ourselves or our own ways, but to promote, yes, folks, the glory of God. That is what we're about promoting. Accepting one another, keep on accepting or receiving one another. The model of acceptance for Christians is the Lord Jesus who accepted us. The Lord received believers when they were not only whoops when they were only powerless. The Lord received believers when they were not only powerless, not only weak, not only ungodly, not only sinners, and not only his enemies, but he accepted them. And he has a desire that everybody even conceived would go to heaven. That's his desire. That's his, you know, like if some bad people came into this church, how would we cope? Oh, would it bend us out of shape? Or we get them a cup of tea? Or do you know what I mean? Accepting. Oh, what if a whole bunch of Jehovah Witnesses come in here and and, and said, you know, we want to be a part of your church. Would we accept them? Yeah, why not? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Might happen one day. <laughs> when, I was, when I was going to the Baptist church in Seymour, one day you know, the Jehovah's were coming around knocking on doors and um, they knocked on our, my pastor's door and he listened to them and that. Anyway, when they took off, anyway, he followed them and found out where they lived or where one of the guys lived. So the next day he goes round to this blokes. He says, oh, good day. He says, I'm Rev Roger from the Baptist Church. He said, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. Slammed the door in his face. <laughs> yeah, didn't like it. That's interesting. Anyway, where are we up to? So, 
The bottom line is this. The fellowship of believers is to be inclusive, not exclusive. And we must include. And we must allow our church to grow. So, are you full of goodness and completing knowledge? The fellowship of believers is to be inclusive rather than exclusive. And God has designed a lifestyle for his children. A lifestyle for his children to live by. It is a lifestyle of holiness. A lifestyle of submission to God's ways as laid out per scripture. So, three questions. Uh, two questions, I mean. How are you doing in your lifestyle of holiness? And how are you doing in your submission to God's ways as laid out per scripture? And I want to leave you with those challenges today. It's something to think about and something to consider. We understand what the Bible is all about as a whole book. We understand the big picture. And Christ has entered our hearts on our invitation. And that has something to do now with Christian maturity and growth. And that's really what this message is about. Take deliberate steps to draw closer to God in your relationship with him. Take deliberate steps. Don't be a church goer that coasts along, you know, life's pretty cruisy because you might only get to see one side of the pearly gate. We don't want that, do we? We want to see both sides. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Romans and the Apostle Paul and the stuff that he wrote about is so mind-blowing but really, really good, meaty stuff, Lord. I pray that you'll help each one of us to draw closer to you, Lord, that we can be so close and, Lord, that we can hear your voice amongst all of the other hustle and bustle of life. We can be your obedient servant. We can get stuck into some ministry and doing the things that you put on our hearts and the things that you place before us. We pray and ask, Lord, you'll surely be with us from this day forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gaza.